Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning, and welcome along to the Daily Digest from Football Digest with myself, Ned Keating. Joining me on this very hot and sweltering morning in the UK uh, is Joshua Peck. Uh, and we're going to try and distract ourselves from the heat for the next 20 minutes or so by running the rule over the morning's back pages. Um, but Joshua, I suppose one person who might, he's not in the UK at the minute, but might be sweating uh, a bit this morning, uh, is Harry Maguire. We're going to start with Man United. It seems like we can't go more than a couple of weeks than a, a story questioning his future as Man United captain. Uh, this morning on the back page of the Daily Star, there's a suggestion uh, that Eric Ten Hag has said that Maguire's, uh, Maguire's position as captain, if he's not playing well, that won't save him from getting into the first team. Now, there were question marks last season about whether or not Man United should drop Maguire when he was going through a poor patch of form. Maybe the managers were a little bit reluctant, maybe not as hardline as as, as Ten Hag is looking potentially to be with Man United now going forward. And, and from the early weeks, we've seen that he does tend to quite, take quite a hard line, even, even the footage from training as well. He's barking orders and getting them doing press-ups as ball fits in God knows what kind of heat out in the, uh, in the Far East, out in Australia. Um, and even with his captain, it looks like if you're not playing, well, it doesn't matter whether or not you've got the arm and we've got enough leaders in this squad to take over from you. You'll be sitting on the sidelines watching if you're not playing well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's just what Maguire needs, actually. Um, that United haven't really had a, a strict manager since Fergie or somebody that's willing to at least put noses out of joint. And the only one they really did was Mourinho. And arguably, United had their best season since Fergie under Mourinho, yeah. Oh God, it's a funny one. He didn't play eight Premier League games last season for different reasons, suspension, injury. And United actually only won one of them. Um, and I know United didn't have a great season anyway, but it seems that they actually were better with Maguire in there. Um, you got, obviously, Varane was signed last year. He missed 13 games for injury. Um, so he obviously didn't have the impact Solskjaer and then Rangnick wanted or expected. Um so, yeah, for Maguire, captains really aren't as important in football as they are in some sports. They don't make many decisions. But I think, yeah, good. You No place is guaranteed. Even De Gea's spot isn't guaranteed. Ronaldo's spot clearly isn't guaranteed if he stays there. So no, I don't think anybody should have their place guaranteed, captain or not. We look at how Man United are shaping up in this transfer window, who they're looking to bring in. Obviously, Lissandro Martinez um, will we'll be linking up with the squad soon. Someone that Eric Ten Hag knows very well from his days at Ajax. Um, but interestingly, and listening in on our uh, on our sister podcast at Manchester, as read from the MEN um, last week, I think it was, they were talking about the signing of Martinez and where he's going to play. And there's a possibility that he will be filling that left centre-back role. Obviously, a left-sided, uh, a left-footed player has played left-sided centre-back for Ajax under Ten Hag and, and can play in defensive midfield as well. But centre-back looks like where he's probably going to make his home for Man United. That's where Harry Maguire also plays. The money that they're spending on Martinez isn't obviously as much as they spent on Maguire a couple of years back, but it's a sizable outlay for a player that you wouldn't expect them to be on the bench if you're signing him for, you know, 50 plus million or whatever. You, you wouldn't expect him to be on the bench. I know Maguire has now slotted in a bit in, in pre-season training uh, and and in the matches or one or two of the matches as a right-sided centre-back. But does the rival of Martinez also then put the pressure on Maguire to have to step up and and now he has a real kind of threat there behind him at, at left-sided centre-back, whereas 
perhaps before. And I know it sounds daft. I know you probably think, oh, centre back can play both sides, but it, it does take a little bit of transition, doesn't it? Knowing your shoulders, your angles, and everything else. But now he's got a left sided centre back that, that can compete with him. Yeah, of course it does. And I think it's an area, that left side of defence that Ten Hag has noted needs strengthening, obviously, with the signing of Terrell Malassia as well. Um, but yeah, Maguire having that pressure on him, again, might be something that he needs. It might just help him step up a little bit. You've got, with the signing, you've got three centre-backs, potentially four if you want to count Lindelof, that arguably make it into any other Premier League team outside of the top six. Um Maguire, yeah, he does have his faults, but look at the goal United conceded the other day against Melbourne victory. A lot was blamed on Maguire. It was Luke Shaw that was miles out of position, um, which then forced everybody over and it looked a mess in the middle. Um, But yeah, I think given injuries to Varane last year, Maguire may have to slot over if Ten Hag wants to keep everybody happy. Maguire, as captain, should probably be the one to be, well, I'll be the one willing to play here, there or anywhere to do what's best for the team. Yeah, I suppose that's kind of the, the leader's instincts almost, but just sticking with the, the captain's armband and the idea of it and, and Maguire and how he's been playing under it. If you look at how he's played for England, I think we can, you know, arguably say maybe aside from last month, there were a few lapses there and whatnot, but by and large, since he's been Man United captain, his performances haven't tailed off for England, obviously where he doesn't have that captaincy pressure and that expectation of, of having to lead. We've seen it in other sports as well. You know, we, we look at cricket, obviously cricket's at the top of this back page here on the Daily Star as well. But but we look at the England test side and, and Joe Root, someone who, you know, he did play well under under the captaincy, but he seems to have gone to another level now this summer since he's got rid of that captaincy. We've seen it time again in other sports as well, where players maybe have felt that weight, that pressure of leadership a little bit. And as soon as that gets lifted off of them, they go back to a different level. They go back to, um, you know, playing almost with a clearer head. And I wonder if whether or not Man United could benefit from perhaps maybe taking the leadership away from Harry Maguire. As tough a decision as that will be, and, and surely that will cause ructions within the squad with Maguire himself. He won't be happy with that decision. But it could be a decision that might aid Manchester United in the long term this season. Yeah, wouldn't disagree. Um, I think it's also it's not the captaincy that is fully raining down. That eighty million pound price tag still gets mentioned every time he makes a shocking error. And you compare it to Van Dijk, who obviously at five million pound cheaper was has been a lot better for Liverpool. Um, I also think Europa League may come as a, a blessing in disguise for United and Ten Hag, given that it will give them more games to work out best eleven and what fits when let's face it, in Europa League for a team like Manchester United, group stage, results shouldn't really be an issue. I just think, yeah, um, you got Maguire. Captaincy, I think it does have an impact on him. Um, Such a big club that Man United, a lot of people will say it's the biggest club in the world. To be the face, essentially, of United does weigh heavy on him. Um, I think, ideally, they'd want to give it to Ronaldo. Maybe that will be the only way to get him to stay. Like, here's the captain's armband. Here's another 50 grand on your weekly <laughs> wage bracket. But in captaincy, Ronaldo is somebody who would thrive on it. I'm not sure Maguire does quite thrive on captaincy as much as others do. Yeah, I think I think going back to it, it was a bit surprising when he first got the captaincy in the first place. And you look at other players, and especially, you know, like De Gea, who have been talked about regularly as being a future Man United captain. So you kind of, there are options there within the squad. But you mentioned Ronaldo there. And 
it's an interesting person to bring up because again, looking at this back page and and you know, we've got Ten Hag there saying about Maguire and he's had this captaincy decision to make. He's got decisions to make over Ronaldo's future. This is such an important summer for Man United, having got in a new manager, likely to to kind of spearhead a new era, hopefully there for a long time. Stuff like this isn't exactly what he would have wanted when he joined, is it? He probably hoped for a nice, simple, quiet summer, but simple and quiet aren't necessarily two words that go hand in hand with Man United in recent years. No, they're, they're not. And Ronaldo, I think we could all see it coming soon. United dropped out of the Champions League. He wants to be Champions League, let's face it. And Ten Hag has actually gone about his business quite well. Yes, there's the whole Frankie de Jong drama, which he desperately wants to get over the line. But the summer and bedding in, no, it's not been easy for him. But as you say, it never is at Manchester United. <laughs> Who was the last manager that had an easy ride for their first few months? They don't. And Ten Hag, I think, is actually dealing with it very well. I think there are other managers and other people that would very quickly start snapping and you'd start hearing. I mean, we know lots of bits of information get dripped and dragged out of Manchester United recently. There's not been that as such this summer. And I think that's Ten Hag putting his stamp on authority very quickly. And as I say at the start, I think United need that bit of disciplinarianism to get them back on the right path. Switching now from the red half of Manchester to the blue half, and uh, but staying with the Daily Star at least. Another story on their back page this morning. Uh, Julian Alvarez, a new signing from Man City this summer, uh, being talked about as potentially emulating uh, Sergio Aguero's heroics for Man City. Of course, being backed by a fellow Argentine, Pablo Zabaleta, so I'm sure he wouldn't have said anything else. Former Man City and Argentina star Pablo Zabaleta back in current Man City and Argentina star shocker. Um, but in terms of... Uh, you know, those words and, and what they mean. Obviously, Zabaleta is held as a, as a great player in Argentina and as well in Man City folklore. Is this likely to put perhaps pressure on Alvarez a little bit more? Of course, it, you know, look, we'd be naive if we didn't say diminutive small forward from Argentina signs for Man City. Of course, the comparisons with Aguero are absolutely always going to be there. I'm sure Alvarez would have, would have known that before signing. But are these words from Zabaleta likely to discourage him and maybe put that bit more pressure on him or encourage him to go out there and thrive like his countrymen did? I don't think they'll discourage him. I mean, you don't move to a team fighting at the top end of the Premier League and wanting to win in Europe if you don't thrive on pressure. Um, I mean, what we've got to remember for Aguero is, yeah, he hit the ground running in his first season in the Prem, but he also had a few seasons at La Liga under his belt and I think he actually only scored a handful of goals in his first season with Atletico. So we can't, be too expectant of Alvarez this summer, but he's going to love the pressure. You've got to playing in front of 50,000 at the Etihad every other week. You're playing, you're trying to win trophies. You've got to love the pressure. And I don't think Pep is somebody either that lets his players get too down with the lows or up with the highs. So Pep will keep him level-headed. I think Pep will keep him all level-headed, but I'm expecting good things from Alvarez as much, as little or as much as we'll see. We'll be glimpses. I think he'll be a good signing. 
I'm glad there that you're also expecting good things from him because I wondered whether or not I was, I was with my view here that I'm about to express. I wondered whether or not I was being a, uh, you know, a typical contrarian or, or kind of one of those football hipsters that like to kind of pretend that they had this idea first. But there's a little bit of me that almost feels like he might perform better than Erling Haaland this season. Obviously, all eyes are on Haaland, all the pressure, all the money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's this expectation that Haaland's going to come in and, and kind of be a guy that scores what 20, 30 goals a season for Man City, be the man that they've kind of missed since Aguero. But there's me looking at it and kind of seeing how they've played, how they played last season. Obviously, we know Haaland is a bit more than a tall striker. His, his link-up plays phenomenal. But I just wonder whether or not Alvarez and, and how he is and, and the way that he plays, whether or not that's more suited to Man City. And then, of course, the fact that there isn't that pressure on him, that, like I said, all eyes are on Haaland. And this one's almost kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, Pep is going to want to get Haaland settled first. I mean, whether that means he's playing from the start. But then that gives Alvarez the chance to probably come in the last 10, 15 minutes when games are already won, bag a couple of goals. And before we know it, it's he's played 10, well, 10 appearances, probably only played about 90 minutes overall and probably got about eight goals. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does depend on Pep, doesn't it? I mean, I just think Alvarez will inevitably have a huge say in City season one way or another, whether that's scoring a goal in, a, in uh, the EFL Cup to win them that or just bagging a 90th minute goal at home to somebody like Spurs just to get him going I think he'll have a big say and yeah that pressure and expectancy will be on him and every time he steps on the pitch but if it does depend how Pep plays it if Haaland settles quickly it might be a different story because with the games coming thick and fast in the Christmas period Alvarez might get a few more opportunities in this first season from the like from the kickoff, and that's when the pressure comes when you're expected to be the main man from the very start. Talking of pressure, uh, finally this morning uh, we're looking ahead to the England women's uh, Euros quarter final against Spain uh, on Wednesday. Obviously, no goals conceded so far for the Lionesses. Uh, a seamless passage through uh, the group stages. Uh, which is in complete contrast to normally what the men do and, and normally put us through the ringer, isn't it, really? Uh, <laughs> normally give us a few scares in the group stages. Uh, but yeah, seamless passage to the knockout stage. But for me now, this is this is where the real test begins, isn't it, Josh? The, you know, pressure is on now. There is no mistakes. There, there is no second chances. It's win or bust from here on out. And this is where we're going to find out perhaps a little bit more about, about the squad. They seem confident, which is always great going into the knockout stages. But we're going to find out when the going gets tough, did the tough get going, really, with this team? Yeah, this is when the tournament really starts, isn't it? You've got down to the final eight. There's a bit more edge when you know your tournament could be over inside the next 90 minutes. I think the good thing about this England team, and it's the same with the men's, they look like they're enjoying it. They look like we talk, as I say, talk about pressure. It doesn't look like this team are feeling it, or if they are, they're doing it with a smile on their face and relishing it. And I think that can only stand them in good stead. There's tougher tests to come than the group stage. But... You're on your home turf. If you, this is when your tournament starts, and this is when, as you say, tough gets going. Going gets tough. Get going when the going gets tough. And this England team, they seem to be really enjoying their football. They know, they know each other well. They know how to break things down. And it, I love to see that they're relentless. We saw against Norway that it's not two or three nil up. We're in a group stage three points regardless it's no we're gonna go for the jugular here and really make it count and put 
a marker down it's like this is what we are it says then that you've been really impressed with what you've seen so far from this team she said they're ruthless there is no let, let up there is this kind of you know as they've done throughout the, the group stages they kind of built and built and built you know obviously there was that nervy win uh, over austria in the group uh, in the opening game of the tournament but in that game you only just want to win there is going to be first night nerves especially when you host to go and smash eight past Norway as, as their perceived toughest rivals in that group because of Norway's history in women's football um, was a sensational result, made everyone stand up and, and come to account. And then obviously it was just about, I wouldn't want to say coasting past Northern Ireland. I think that's a bit disrespectful to, to Northern Ireland, but obviously having already secured qualification, um, perhaps maybe not putting in, you know, kind of the 50-50 challenges, maybe about picking up injuries, but they managed to navigate gone through the group stages no issues no suspensions no injuries really so far um Serena Viper seems to have really got this team kind of playing together she said they're really enjoying it really thriving under the pressure um and as she said they, they, you know you kind of ticked it off it sounds like that you've been thoroughly impressed with what you've seen so far from the Lionesses yeah 100% I mean that first clash with Austria was a bit tense but actually maybe 1-0 was a fair reflection when you consider they are the team that finished second they beat Norway it wasn't an easy game, and I think you get that you get that bit of lull in that, oh, we should be beating these teams. Actually, you go and see what they do in the rest of the tournament, and you realise how good a result that was. Yeah, as I say, it, it, they're really like a ground and pound. It's, we've got you down. We are going to keep knocking you, keep making sure you stay down. And I think that can only be a good thing. They say no goals conceded, looking solid at the back, which it's not often you say about any England team, really, is it, that... You don't feel threatened team come forward. Just, and once we have got the ball, I mean, knocking it about superbly. I just, yeah, I mean, without getting too over the top, I can see us going all the way at least to the final. And who knows? But as you say, anything anything can happen in knockout football. It, all it takes is one little error and your tournament's over. But thank, uh, hopefully there will be no errors from this England team. Hopefully there won't be any penalties either. I'm still not over last <laughs> summer against Italy. Um, but just finally, Josh, um, the, the tournament on the whole, it's already been the most uh, attended women's Euros in history, which is phenomenal. It seems like the whole country's really got behind, not just England, but the tournament and women's football uh, in general. Um, and I spoke on this show previously about kind of how 2005, when, when England last hosted the tournament, it seemed like a turning point for the women's game in this country then. And now it seems like it's kind of, you know, going on to that next level. Hopefully, you know, Lionesses go all the way and, and that will surely then obviously take it even further onto the next level. But there's a real feel-good atmosphere around the country, watching the games, watching everyone get behind it. And it seems to be that the tournament so far has been a massive success. Yeah, 100%. I mean, looking at some of the attendances, there's 22,500 at Bramall Lane for Switzerland, Netherlands. There's 20,000 at Milton Keynes for Finland, Germany. I mean, arguably wouldn't get that for a men's game between Finland and Germany. <laughs> I think, yeah, if you've been some lower attendance, it's cool to have, but look at the weather outside. Travel, I saw trains were a nightmare to get to some places. I just think it's been a really well attended and, yeah, it's been a tournament that's showcasing women's football and showing exactly what women's football can do. And you're seeing more and more women's teams pop up locally. I just think, yeah, it's been great for the game and give it, we've seen the advances in the last, what, 17 years. Give it another 17 years and who knows where we'll be. And I mean, as I say, women's football is only going from strength to strength. 
Yeah, it really is fantastic to see. Josh, thanks so much uh, for taking time out from sweating away and joining us this morning. Um, that was a nice distraction for both of us in sweltering heat, I'm sure. Um, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest uh, from the Women's Euros, uh, as well as the transfer window across the mirror, the Star and the Express, as well as all of Reach's regional titles. But for now, it's goodbye.